Amen. That needs to be our prayer each and every day that we go before our Lord and ask Him to cleanse us. Give us a clean heart and hear our prayers. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. When I ask the question today, too little, too late, you'll see what we're talking about here as we get into it. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to look at verses 50 through 54 this morning. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 50. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, now Jesus has done been beaten, Jesus has done been mocked, Jesus has done carried his cross up Calvary's hill, Jesus has already been nailed to the cross. And when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. Now, in East Texas terms, that simply means he died, okay? He died, and behold, at his death here, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints that slept or who had died arose. And they came out of the grave after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now last week we asked the question and we looked at the idea of whether or not Mary knew about this young child that she was carrying. We, 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 we asked the question, did she know all the things about this young child of whom she would give birth to? You know, what would be his fate? Would he really be the Messiah that the nation of Israel had longed for? Would, what would be his outcome? Would he truly be that sacrificial lamb that, that would take away the sins of the world? Would he be the one that would save our sons and daughters? Now, 33 and a half years had passed since she held that new baby boy in her arms. And now she would hold him once again. But the situation would be different. You see, the first time she held him, you know, he was alive and well. This time, all she held was a, was a lifeless body, a body that was bloody, a body that was torn, and as Isaiah described, a man that barely looked human. Did she know just what would take place on that hill called Mount Calvary when she held that newborn child on that first Christmas day in that dark, cold cave. You know, we're told in verse 50 that when Jesus cried, it is finished. <clears throat> he drew his final breath. His, his head fell forward. And he yielded up the ghost. Now, upon his spirit leaving his body, which is what we call death, that's simply what death is, is when the spirit leaves the body, the body goes lifeless. And when the body of Jesus went lifeless because his spirit had left him, three things happened simultaneously. The first thing that we see here is the veil between the holy God and sinful man was removed. 
Verse 51 says, And the veil of the temple, it was tore from top to bottom. Now there's something there to, to, to not miss. The, 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 the veil was not tore from the bottom to the top. It was tore from the top to the bottom, sinuating there that God himself ripped the temple veil in two. Opening up access to the Holy of Holies for each and every one of us. You see, during the lifetime of Jesus and prior to that, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. Here was the place that animal sacrifices was carried out. Here was the place that, that sins were atoned for the people of God. Here was the place of worship according to the law of Moses that he prescribed, that God prescribed, and the people followed. Now, four things we can learn about this veil being torn this morning. You see, the, the, uh, the, the, the tearing of the veil signified that Christ, by his death, had opened up a path for men to come to God. Hebrews 9, you know, tells us that the veil or that tall curtain that was in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies where God, you know, uh, rested in the temple. And this signifies here that man was separated from God because of sin. That's what the whole purpose of the veil in the temple was. It was signifying that, that there's something that's separating holy God from sinful man. And that with the veil is the thing that was showing the separation. You see, we have an open path because that veil was torn. We have an open path through Christ to the throne of grace now and, 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 and forever, forever hereafter. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, it tore away that veil that separated sinful man from holy God. And, and, and what do we make of this? What significance does this rent, this torn veil have for you and I today? You see, the tearing of the veil at that moment of Christ's death, it dramatically symbolizes that the, his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the shedding of his own blood was a significant or sufficient atonement for our sins forever, forevermore. You see, no more would it take a yearly trip to the temple in order for the high priest to go before God on your behalf with your sacrifice in order for you to receive a temporary forgiveness of your sins. You see, the torn veil signified that the way to the Holy of Holies was open for all people, for all time, rather Jew or rather Gentile. Luke told us in Acts chapter 17 that when Jesus died, this veil was tore. And what took place at that moment is God moved out of that place, that holy of holies in the temple. Never again, Luke told us, to, to dwell in a temple made by hand. You see, God was through with what the, the man-made temple. God was through with the temporary sacrifices. God was through with a religious system and worship forever. God was through with that. God had a new way. That's what the New Testament is all about. The new covenant is all about God's new way for sinful man to come before a holy God. Now, the fourth thing we can learn about this veil being torn is the veil was symbolic of Christ himself. 
The veil was symbolic of Christ himself. According to John 14, Christ is the only way to the Father. You remember Jesus? Excuse me. Jesus said, I am the way. The way what? The way to God. The way to Holy Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He went on to say, if you had really known me, you would have known my Father and who he is. From now on, you do not know him, or you do know him, and you have seen him. Why? Because Jesus made a way. As the curtain that was torn open, Jesus made a way for you and I to know the heavenly Father personally. You see, this, this, this is symbolic in the fact that the high priest had to enter the Holy of Holies through that veil. But now, Christ is our more superior high priest. And as believers in the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross, we partake of His better priesthood. You know, we can now enter the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ because that veil is gone. We now have direct direct access to the Father through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No more those yearly bloody sacrifices. You know, no more, you know, for the atonement of our sins. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God, made that sacrifice complete and permanent. You see, Jesus Christ, through His death, has removed the barriers between sinful man and holy God. And because of that, folks, we can approach the Father. We can approach the throne of God with confidence and with boldness that he will hear us. Now, the next thing we see that took place on that day is the earth shook violently. In verse 51b, it says, and the earth did quake and rocks rent. Now, two things happened at the shaking of this earth. We're told that large rocks burst into pieces. You see, it burst into pieces, and the earth did quake, and these rocks rent, we're told here. You see, now the bursting of the rocks, I believe, is kind of symbolic of the breaking of our hearts. Think about that. I think as those rocks broke, it's a picture of how our hearts, our old stony hearts can be broken by, you know, through trusting Jesus Christ. When we consider Christ's death, our hard stony hearts should be broken. When we stop, just like when we do the Lord's Supper on a, you know, every three months, you know, it, it should break our hearts of what Christ went through. It should tear at our hearts. Because of the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. But Jesus desires to break our own stony hearts, folks. Our hearts, you know, are, are made hard due to the sin within our life and our unwillingness to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness. Now, the second thing that happened is the grave split open. Now, think about this. When Jesus bowed his head, he said it is finished and the earth did quake. Graves busted open all over Jerusalem. And we're told there that people come up out of those graves when Jesus resurrected. Think about that. People who have been dead years, they were seen walking around town. Don't you know that got some attention? But you know what? I think the breaking of those, of those graves and the opening of those graves and the people coming up out of those graves, I think that's symbolic of the resurrection of the saved. 
I think Jesus was showing us a picture that, look, you know, one day you too will experience a resurrection of your own. So great with this earthquake that even these graves burst open and Jesus was showing us the power of his resurrection. Jesus was showing us that if he has the power to resurrect himself, you know, surely he has the power to resurrect all those who belong to him. Folks, listen, one day a trumpet is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to be with the Lord forever in the air. Even so, amen, amen. Why? Because of his resurrection. He has the power to resurrect all those that belong to him. When Jesus come forth from that grave, you know, he would bring many of the saints of old to prove his resurrection power. I guarantee you that made some doubters stop doubting when the dead people began to walk around Jerusalem. It's because of this, folks, that we can have that great anticipation and we can be listening for that trumpet to sound so our dead loved ones will be resurrected and we will be changed at that very moment. Now, the third thing is that I believe that happened is the true identity of Jesus Christ became a reality. It became a reality. Verse 54. He says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, when you look at this passage of Scripture and you look at this century in here, you know, having seen so many crucifixions, I believe this century knew what to expect from these prisoners. Now, think about that. He, this wasn't his first rodeo, so to speak. This wasn't his first crucifixion that he had overseen. And most people who were sentenced to be crucified, they were criminals. They were thieves. They were murderers. And he had heard these men, these hard men. You know, he had heard them, you know, scream in agony while being whipped. He had heard them scream in agony and plead for their life before Pilate. And from the crosses, he had heard them curse those who were down below, who had just crucified them. He had heard them curse them. And he had had them blaspheme the holy God for allowing them to go through such things. So he knew what to expect from those experiencing crucifixion. And from their crosses, he knew that surely Jesus would do the same thing. Perhaps it was during this time, though, that that centurion began to notice that there was something different about that man in the middle. That man that was hanging in the middle. This centurion had yet to hear a curse word from him. This centurion had yet to hear him look down at those who had just nailed him to the cross and begin to curse them. This centurion had yet to hear him look up to God of heaven and begin to blaspheme God for him going through these things. Yes, something was different about this man. Something was different. Where most men, you know, cursed and swore Jesus as his hands were nailed to that cross. Jesus as his feet was uh, uh, was nailed to that cross. What did he do? He cried out to God to forgive those who were bringing this suffering on him. Never before had this century and seen nothing like this. This man is hanging there and instead of cursing us, instead of cursing his God, 
He's asking forgiveness for us who nailed him to the cross. Never before had anyone done this. So I believe the old gears begin to turn in this centurion's head. What is going on here? What is going on? Or maybe he noticed the tender mercies in Jesus' voice when he spoke to that repentant thief. You remember the thief hanging on his side. One was cursing. The other looked at Jesus and said, you know, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Remember that story? And what did Jesus say? He looked over at him and he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Why? Because this man had a repentant heart. The other thief, not so, not so. So maybe this century and notice this, this tenderness in the voice of Jesus when he told that repentant thief, look, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And he said it in a tender voice. Perhaps he was amazed that during such sufferings that Jesus could look down at his mother. You remember Jesus looked down at John and his mama and he looked over at John and he said, John, I want you to take care of mama. And he looked at his mother and he said, from now on, that's going to be your son. That is going to be your caregiver. Perhaps this century and notice that. And he said, you know, what is going on here? You know, how can this guy be worried about his mother when he's about to die on the cross? We can only guess when this century and begin to realize that perhaps, just perhaps, Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. At what point did he finally realize that? What we do know is exactly when he knew with full certainty that this Jesus was the Son of God. You see, it was, was it too little too late for him? Think about this. Was it too little too late when he finally realized we have killed the very Son of God? Was it too little too late for him? Just before he died, Jesus cried, It is finished. And immediately after that, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I commit my spirit. At that very moment, Jesus died. We're told that at that very moment, this violent earthquake came. It shook the land with such intensity that the rocks were split. And Matthew tells us that when the centurion and those with him who guarded Jesus, saw the earthquake. And I guarantee you they felt that earthquake too. They felt the ground be underneath them begin to shake. And when they felt the earthquake, when they saw the earthquake, we're, we're told here, the things and the things that had happened, we're told, and they greatly feared, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So we know when he finally realized it, when that earthquake happened. And rocks begin to break in pieces. At that moment, he realized, this is the Son of God. And we nailed him to the cross. But was it too little too late? Was it too little too late? Could he still, you know, experience salvation? You know, I believe at that moment, the man who presided over Jesus' execution, the man who ordered the nails to be driven in his hands and his feet, that same man, I believe, I believe, became the first person to become a believer after the death of Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, what about the man on the cross? 
Jesus was still alive. But I believe this centurion was the first man to experience salvation after the death of Jesus Christ. I don't believe it was too little too late. You see, it's never too little too late until we draw our final breath. Then it's too late. Then it's too late. Was it too little too late? For Jesus to be spared, it was too little too late. He realized too late Jesus was the Son of God. So it was too little too late for Jesus. But for mankind, again, it's never too late. Look, if you hear my words this morning, it's not too late for you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Pastor, you don't know what I'm doing right now. I don't care what you're doing right now. I don't care what you've done in your past. Can I tell you something? You don't know what I've done in my past. Okay? So if you're still breathing today, it's not too little too late to come to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the way to God. You see, though it was the end for Jesus in a human body, it was the beginning of a new relationship with God the Father for this centurion. What an awesome and exciting testament, you know, this is to God's divine grace. You know, God was willing and eager to save one who was primarily responsible for the murder of his son. Think about that. God was willing to save this man who was primarily responsible for killing his son. A man who watched Jesus be scorned and probably laughed as they was beating Jesus. A man who watched the soldiers mock and abuse Jesus and who probably enjoyed every minute of it while they were ripping the flesh from his body. Probably enjoyed every minute of it as they would place that crown of thorns upon his head and watch the blood begin to run down his face. Probably enjoyed it as they seen that show, he seen that shoulder, a soldier jab that spear in the side of Jesus just to make sure he was dead. This man who killed the very son of God when he finally realized that Jesus was the savior. He experienced salvation. He experienced salvation. When he finally realized he killed an innocent man. You know, his cry of terror is an expression of faith. That's how I know he was saved. His cry of terror, when he finally realized this is the Son of God, that's an expression of faith. And you know what? All throughout the gospel, all throughout the gospels there, you know, people came to realize who Jesus Christ was. Let me just give you some examples. In Matthew 14, you know, the disciples finally realized, you know, who Jesus was. And he said, they said this as Jesus, you know, was walking on the water of a truth, thou art the Son of God. In Matthew 16, Peter realized that Jesus was the Son of God when he said, thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 3, the unclean spirits recognized Jesus for who he was as they said, thou art the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 5, more unclean spirits recognized Jesus as they said, Jesus, thou art the Son of the Most High God. In Luke chapter 4, the unclean devils said this, the Holy One of God you are. 
In Luke chapter 4, you know, the more devils, thou art Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 11, Martha said, you know, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And in John chapter 20, even doubting Thomas said, my Lord, my God. All through time, people have finally realized who Jesus Christ is. And they've accepted him for who he is. The very Son of God. The one who takes away the sins of the world. But you know what? We have to come to that realization. That he can take away my sins. And then we have to accept him as our Lord and our Savior. For all of these that I just mentioned. It was not too little too late. But what about you this morning? Have you come to realize yet just who Jesus Christ is? the one who died on the cross for your sin, the one who at this moment is saying unto you, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, he wants you to come to him. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you're involved in in life, he wants you to come to him this morning. He wants you to realize truly who he was, just like the century, and truly this was the Son of God. He also said, he's the one saying, if you will confess with your mouth that I am Lord. And if you'll believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead. He said, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. Are you in need of a savior this morning? Do you really understand what took place on Mount Calvary over 2000 years ago? Do you really understand the significance of that veil being torn from top to bottom, signifying that you now have access to the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ? No more do we need a high priest to go through. You know, you don't need me to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. Not that I won't pray for you, but that need is no longer there because you can go straight to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you accept and acknowledge who He is. So what about you here this morning? Is there one here this morning who would say, you know, I've heard about Jesus all my life, but I've really never realized that He is the Son of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, the one who can forgive me of my sins and remove those sins for my life. Maybe today is the day you need to really realize who Jesus Christ is. Child of God, you're already saved, but you know, you're involved in some things you know that's not making him happy, that he's not pleased with. My question is, why? If you know God's not pleased with what you're involved in, why do you continue to do it? Why not give it to him? And begin serving him the way he wants. Truly, he is the son of God. The one who could take away your sins this morning. If you will allow him to. Let's pray.